Welcome back to church. Today we're continuing our four-week series with a look at one of the most important aspects of our faith, fellowship. Which, if you're here today or watching online, you've already participated in this ancient practice of gathering together as believers. Give yourself a big round of applause for doing that on this morning. Pastor and author Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, quote, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Now then, Charles Spurgeon said, quote, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. And then I say, I saw this quite prevalently when the pandemic hit. A concerted and pretty effective effort to divide Christians. It was no longer that we were united around Christ, but we started to see a very distinct separation around how we perceived the things that were happening around us. Should we wear a mask or not to wear a mask? Should we gather in person or should we gather in line, online? Should we be vaccinated or should we be not? And we saw that the enemy looked for any way possible to create conflict and division even amongst the body of Christ. But let's look at what God says. In Psalms 133, 1 through 2, he says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, down upon the collar of his robes. These are just a few examples of how valuable we know fellowship to be in our lives. There is a great power in gathering together in worship, prayer, and communion. The earliest church communities were absolutely devoted to not only as we talked about last week, teaching, but also as we're going to discover today, being together. Now, whether it was in their homes 
or in synagogues or even in the marketplace, it would seem that nothing would stop them from being together. And there is so much we can learn from in their example. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I would like to revisit our main text for this series. If you are joining us from home, you should be able to find that on the screen. And also, if you would like a Bible and you do not have one, just raise your hand and someone will provide it for you. We also have on um, the projector screen the page number in the top corner um, so that you will be able to quickly locate it because I would like for us to read just this one particular scripture together. And so we're all reading aloud together in the King James Version. You can remain seated. Um, and so let's read this one together, either from the screen, from the Bible, um, from your Bible. And it reads, and, together, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, you'll notice that fellowship is the second of four practices the early church was devoted to. Last week, we covered teaching, and in the upcoming weeks, we'll dive deeper into prayer and communion, so be ready for communion when that is coming. The interesting thing about fellowship is that it's the practice where the other practices happen. When we gather together, we teach, we learn, we pray, we take communion together. And one of the things I thought was interesting as I looked at this more closely is that you can do all of those other things on your own. You can, as we saw even during the pandemic, you can take communion on your own, you can pray on your own, but the fellowship by its nature is the one thing you can't do by yourself. By nature, you cannot gather with others if you've isolated yourself. So that's why I said give yourself a round of applause this morning because fellowship is a communal exercise with a common focus. Did you catch that? If you're watching at home, go ahead and put that in the chat. Fellowship is a communal exercise with a common focus. So what do we have in common? Let me say this again. Fellowship is a communal exercise with a common focus. Now the word fellowship is derived from the Greek word koinonia. I always have a hard time saying this, so I want to make sure I say it again. Kononia, kononia, that's how you say it, kononia, say it with me, kononia, it's quite a tongue twister. Koinonia can be defined as holding something in common, and is specifically used 20 times in the New Testament. What is it exactly? that we hold in common, and I heard someone say it a moment ago, and that is Jesus. And amazingly, despite 
all our differences. Amazingly, despite all the ways in which we are not alike, when we hold Jesus in common with others, we experience the deep abiding community that wouldn't be accomplished otherwise. I don't know if you have friends, if you can think for a moment of people that might be in your life that may be very different from you, but yet that's what makes your relationship so exciting is that they're different than you. I bet most of you who are married would say that your spouse is not exactly the same. They're different. And it's those differences that unify us because we begin to appreciate that those differences complement us. It doesn't benefit me to surround myself around people who always agree with me, who always see things the same way that I do, even though that may be more comfortable or more consoling to our egos, we learn that when people are different, they add value. They give you a perspective sometimes that you may not have originally considered. They help you to live on the edge a little bit. I know with my spouse, it's, it's kind of funny when I think about it, how different we are. And people that know us, they, they know that we're, we're, we're alike, alike in some ways, but in a lot of ways, we're very different. And one of the things that I appreciate about my husband is that when we got married, I was very much so, as in case you haven't figured it out by now from some of the illustrations I've shared with in various sermons, a by-the-book, rule-follower, slightly legalistic Christian. Okay, I'll just be honest. We all have flaws. We all have ways that God has come into our life and changed us and helped us to evolve. But I have to say to you, my husband had to be the one that really helped to shake that ground up a little bit because he was just like, where'd you get all these rules from? I ain't following all that. And we began to loosen up a little bit. I began to, you know, see things in a different way. I began to be a little bit, a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more of a risk taker, a little bit more of the take the plan and throw it out the window and let's just enjoy the day. I did say a little bit, right, because I don't want to be up here lying. There's still that part of me that wants to have some structure, some rules, some boundaries. But it has been such a joy to be stretched and to be brought out of that comfort zone and to be shown other ways that things can be done and things that can be accomplished. That is such a blessing when we have those differences. There is amazing diversity and the fellowship of Christ. And amazing unity can be found through Christ. Turn with me now, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. I want you to read with me verses 4 through 5. I'll read it, uh, but just turn with me. Romans chapter 12. Sorry about that. Verses 4 through 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now, this is kind of remarkable when you start to really pull this apart, because now you kind of take what I just said a moment ago, 
and think about it in terms of what we do in the body of Christ and how beneficial it is that we're not all the same. When you think about your body, how beneficial would it be for you to be comprised of only a nose and multiple noses? But you have a nose and you have hands and you have feet. You have different members of your body that serve different purposes that help your unified body to more effectively do anything that you would set out to do. Listen to this explanation from author John Bloom. Your body is unity in diversity incarnate. The one you is comprised of an almost incomprehensible number of unique parts that all function together. And every member of your body, strong or weak, prominent or obscure, is necessary. You would be overwhelmed if you could see, we got some pre-med students in here, so I think they know where I'm going with this. The comprehensive list of what all the diverse parts of your body do to make it possible for you to move across a room or teach a class or eat a meal or play catch with your child or dance to a piece of music. You are one body, but it takes every individual member of your body working together to make it possible for you to do what you do every day. May I submit to you this morning what we accomplish as a church is only possible where we as a fellowship are committed to gathering together, learning together, praying together, and ministering together. Simply put, as you've heard me say many times before, we're better together. We are better together. And that's the way God designed it. It's likely because the fellowship of Christ is so incredibly powerful that the enemy of our faith is so firmly set against it. Earlier I had read you a quote from Charles, Charles Spurgeon who in part said, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. And if this indeed is true, that there is an enemy set against our being together, then don't you think it's worth asking, what's he so afraid of? So instead of trying to force the idea of togetherness, I'd much rather force or focus on the positives, realities like, yes, we're truly better together, or as Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered 
in my name. There am I with them. I feel the Lord telling me to kind of just ponder on this for a moment because Matthew 18, 20 is very instructive in ways that I think we can overlook. Did he say where two or three thousand are gathered in my name, I'll be in the midst? Did he say where two or three hundred are gathered? Scripture says two or three. And how often do we overlook the opportunity to be in fellowship when maybe that number is not as large as we had hoped? How often do we overlook that when it's just maybe you and one other person, that that's all you need to commune and fellowship and bring the presence of God in a mighty way in your situation, in your home. You get excited when you find that one person on your job who you recognize loves Jesus. And when everything else is going crazy, the two of you can go in the restroom or go in the break room, and just the two of you, you don't need the whole company, you don't need the whole church, you don't need the whole community. If just two or three of us would get excited and not worry about what we see other people doing or not doing, but if we would gather in his name, whew, can you see why the devil might be a little bit worried about us getting together? You think that could have anything to do with us having such a hard time getting together? A unified church is a powerful church. At the end of the day, there is great power in our being together. Don't ever forget that. And for the early church, it meant incredible growth as the light of the gospel spread. Look with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2 again, 46 and 47 this time. Acts 2, 46 and 47. And it reads, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, I can only imagine in these early settings, there was an excitement and joy amongst the believers as God was adding to their numbers daily. Not that more people in bigger churches are the end goal, but rather that the truth of the gospel would be shared with as many people as possible as often as possible. 
It's why the writer of Hebrews encouraged people to spur one another onward. And then look, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. We need encouragement. Can I get a witness to that? We need to be spurred onward from time to time. Don't you get stuck sometimes and need just a little push? We are better together and frankly, when we isolate ourselves and try to do things on our own, we become a prime target for the enemy of our souls. The example that I experienced personally so clearly is, you know, I didn't grow up in the Girl Scouts and I didn't grow up in an area where there were a lot of woods. And so my experience with building fires is very limited to what I found on YouTube. And I tried to put this fire together and it was for like a little bonfire in the backyard and I was having the most difficult time. And I remember once I got finished, I really couldn't figure out how do I put this fire out. And I just couldn't get all of the pieces together. Don't worry, I kind of have it together now. But this was a memory that was um, really etched in my mind because what I saw was when those logs and those branches were scattered and separated, the fire went out very quickly. They, it was as if they drew strength from each other. It was as if they drew fire from each other. And when I separated it, I saw how quickly the fire went out. Now for normal people, this just would have been a campfire experience, but, but for me, of course, I saw deep spiritual significance and it touched me in a way that helped me to see how powerful it is when I am united with other people who are on fire with passion for what they want to do for God. And how when we get separated and when we get isolated, how easy it is for that fire to go out. There is a very interesting passage in 1 Peter, if you want to make your way there, chapter 5 that talks about the strategy of the enemy. In fact, the passage gives us some insight into the power of fellowship and the danger of doing it alone. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring Lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, 
knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. First off, notice how the passage says the enemy prowls like a lion looking for someone to devour. I love how illustrative it is because if you've ever caught, anybody remember back in the day when we used to watch um, the channel, the nature channel, and I don't know what was our interest in that, but somehow you would be captivated as they followed along these creatures and showed you how they moved. And anybody ever watch? I'm the only one. Okay, I got one that, yeah, I'm all alone in this. Okay, just one person who's ever watched the nature channel. But if you've seen this, you've seen how one lion, even though it is a powerful and very mighty creature, their tendency is to wait until the prey is separated from the herd to attack. They have a much better chance at that meal when they can get an individual cut off and apart from the rest. Because if the rest are there, they may try to do what? Lions know. As the enemy knows. That it's far more productive to attack one than it is to attack an entire herd. Think about that with me for a moment today. It says looking for someone to devour. Not some group or some church, but some one. The enemy is looking for someone. There is strength in the herd, the group, the church. And it can be dangerous to forgo the community in favor of your own isolated path. Secondly, I want you to notice something else about what Peter says. He says how we should respond to the enemy's tricks. He says we should resist him. Stand firm and remember that the family of believers around the world is enduring the same kinds of suffering. Resist him, yes. Stand firm in the faith, yes and yes. But also remember the family of faith. Set your mind on the herd, on the group, and on the church fellowship. Remember, you are not alone in the battle, but rather there's a whole worldwide church experiencing similar suffering and similar, similar difficulties as you. Because the enemy wants to make us think we're all alone. Nobody's ever made it through this. Nobody's ever survived this. Nobody's ever overcome this. You're all alone, and this is the end for you. Isn't that how the enemy does? He wants us to be alone. 
But Peter wants us to remember we are not alone. Somebody say, I am not alone. And I need you to catch that whether you live alone or not. I need you to catch that whether you're married or not. I need you to catch that whether you visited here once or whether you're a member. Say it with me again, I am not alone. We are part of a much bigger family, a fellowship with a common focus and bond. It made me think about the international convention that I attended last week or a week or so ago where there were thousands, tens of thousands of people who are part of the same sisterhood that I belong to. And it was so incredible to see so many people from so many different places. And it's encouraging to know that there's a common bond. And as Christians, as believers, we need to be reminded that we have that in tens of thousands of folds bigger than what I experienced. All over this globe, there are believers. All over this country, all over the state, no matter where you're watching from this morning, there are other people who God has touched, who are going through what you're going through and who have made it. That's why, as I said, you know, I have made myself of no reputation and share illustrations and stories that don't do my reputation any good. But if it will help you to see that God is faithful, that God is a provider, that he is mighty and that he can do all things but fail, oh, well, of course, yeah, you can, you can hear about it. Because we have to be encouraged by these testimonies. Because there's someone else that needs to know, I'm not alone. You're not the only one that struggled with this. You're not the only one who's gone through this. And you're not going to be the only one to have the victory in this. Because as we continue to fellowship and to inspire and encourage each other, then we will be able to do the same with others that we encounter as well. So as we close... It would be easy to close with something like, well, there you have it. Fellowship is important, so let's commit to being together. But I think we all know that saying something like that just kind of falls short. The truth is, our fellowship is powerful. Quinonia is an ancient practice around a common bond. For Christians, Jesus is the bond between us, and he can somehow bring all of our diversity together in a beautiful and powerful way. I don't think you understand the magnitude of what God is doing through us. It's very easy, and I thank God for this gift. A lot of times my, I talk to my friends, and they say, well, you have the gift of faith. You can see things that sometimes other people don't see, and so they, they quit too soon or they give up too soon because they don't see what's coming, but you see what's coming. And 
the reality is I don't see what's coming. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of the things that you don't see. I just believe it's coming. I just believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. I just believe that if God said it, it's so. And I, I hope that there's a little bit of contagiousness that as we fellowship and as we rub arms together and as we hang out together and we spend time together, that a little bit of that will begin to emanate throughout our entire congregation that when God shows us he wants to do something, even if we can't see or imagine how it's possible that God has a way. I know he's doing it right now through a tiny group of you he's been using mightily for our back-to-school event. And I know there's, oh, yeah, amen. You give them a round of applause. And I know there's days that you're working and you're putting your hands together and you're planning and you're doing everything you can and you're going, I don't see how this is going to happen. I don't see how we're going to pull this off. Do we have enough time? Do we have enough money? Do we have enough resources? And all I can say to you is prepare to be amazed when you see what God does with your faith. Prepare to be amazed. Prepare to step back and just scratch your head and say, I know I did a little bit, but I, I, I could, alone I could not have done this. Look at what God has done. I just want you to understand that God is doing something through our fellowship, through our devotion, that is going to not only astound you, but astound our community. That people are going to be drawn to know this God that you serve. And yes, it is the enemy's job to make you get discouraged, to make you give up, to make you feel like it can't happen, and make you quit before you see any of that come to pass. And so as much as I can, as often as I can, I'm going to be here inspiring you to hold on and believe God. Because he is faithful. And through us, you're going to be amazed at what he's going to do. But as we said, as we started this complete series and as we started this sermon today, <laughs> you can't do it alone can't do it alone. Fellowship is the one thing you can't do alone. There's a lot of things we can do alone, but there are some things that God wants to do that our unity is necessary to bring him the glory. Not one lone ranger, not one showboater, not one person who's been dumped with all the work and is just trying to keep it together, but all of us together serving God. So I want to leave you with a challenge today, as I most often do, that you would leave here and have a sense of purpose and have something that you can do throughout this week to feel like you are applying what you've heard. And so my challenge for you is if you know someone who's been isolating themselves, somebody you haven't seen lately, Somebody who you know is kind of going through some stuff and they probably feel all alone. 
please ask them, how can you help? Ask them, how are you doing? That's part of fellowship. I feel like as human beings, we instinctively know how to ask for help if we need it, but we might not be as attuned to when someone else needs help. That's my challenge. Just reach out to someone. Say, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. Are you doing all right? Can I pray for you? And today, if it's you that's here, and you who have been feeling completely alone, I want you to know that we have a prayer room right here. And when we close this service, we would love to pray with you. Because only two or three have to gather. And you know what? God is going to be in the midst. You're going to feel his presence. And you're going to know that he heard your prayers. So let's commit to praying for fellowship. Let's pray not only for our community, but for believers around the world who are gathering together. Let's continue to pray for strength and unity because we, Excel Church, are doing something that is different, something that is not easy to do, but something that God has graced us and anointed us to do. Pray for protection, pray for empowerment, pray for others that will be added to our fellowship who need to hear the gospel. Fellowship is a communal exercise with a common focus. So I just want to challenge us this morning. Don't get off focus. Don't start focusing about the one thing that you want or the one thing that's important to you or the one thing that is sticking out to you. Let's stay with a common focus and watch God get the glory. Come on, let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you are here I thank you, Father, that you don't give up on us and that even when we don't see a way, that you send a word to remind us to hold on, a word to remind us to keep seeking you, keep serving you, keep being devoted to you, Father God. We love you. We love you, Father God. And everything that we do, we want it to bring you glory. And so, Lord, help us to have excellence in everything that we do, excellence in our families, excellence in our church, excellence on how we perform at our jobs, whatever those jobs may be, Father. Let everything about us have a sense of excellence and pride that points back to you, that brings you glory, that even when everyone else around us may be given half the effort, Father God, I thank you that there is an integrity that you have placed on the inside of us that we seek and we are devoted to you and we will give to you wholeheartedly because of who you are in our life because you're an awesome God and we love you and we thank you this morning that you've brought us together for fellowship thank you Father God we're not focusing on what we don't have Father we're focusing on what we do have and we have you and so, God, we thank you for helping us to magnify you, to focus on you, to concentrate on you, to push aside all the distractions that the enemy would try to bring our way. And, God, we ask that you would help us in our fellowship, help us to sincerely care 
for the well-being of one another. Help us to reach out to those who are disconnected, Father. Help us to reach out in our community and invite people to come to church and to know you. God, help us to have a heart for the lost and to feel the way that you feel and to see the way that you see, God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done this morning, what you've deposited this morning. And I thank you, Father God, for what will grow because of the seed that you planted. We give you and you alone the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen.